Hello, everyone, and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I am the executive director of Healthcare Voter. Uh, and I'm also a uh, cancer survivor, and so I have personally lived through our healthcare system in America. And so today we are going to be answering your questions as always. And we have a special guest uh, that will be talking about COVID, uh, the latest that we know, and uh, what you can and should be doing to keep your family safe. But first, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about open enrollment uh, for the Affordable Care Act, which ended in most states on January 15th. And here today to talk about uh, how open enrollment went and how you may still be eligible for health insurance is Alika with Health Sherpa. Um, as you noted, open enrollment is over in most states, but people living in eight states still have more time to apply. So if you are living in California, New Jersey, D.C., Kentucky, or Rhode Island, today is your last chance to enroll in quality, affordable health coverage for this upcoming year. Um, if, you have, if you live in Maryland or New York or Colorado, you'll still have a few more weeks to apply. Um, and regardless of what state you're in, if you're in one of those states, you haven't checked what you qualify for, take five minutes. Um, see what kind of financial assistance you can get. There is so much more financial assistance available this year, and it's been so exciting to see so many people get covered. Um, at last count, more than 14 million people have found um, coverage through the health insurance marketplace uh, for 2022. Um, and again, there's still more states who are, who are letting folks enroll. Um, at Health Sherpa, we enrolled uh, more than 3 million people so far this year, and most of them are paying less than $25 a month for quality, again, comprehensive, affordable health coverage. So take five, see what you can get. Um, I will note, uh, it's really important to know that regardless of what state you're in, um, open enrollment may be over, but if you have a qualifying life event, like you lost your health coverage, you moved, you got married, had a baby, um, you can either enroll or change plans um, at any point during the year when you have one of those life events. So if you aren't sure if that applies to you, if you need some help, um, you can go to healthcare.gov. You can call us at HealthSherpa. You can work with a trusted uh, local broker uh, or a sister. Um, there are lots of options to still get uh, quality coverage for this year. Great. Thanks. And so uh, if you live in one of the states that still has open enrollment going on right now, or if you have a qualifying life event, it is not too late to sign up for health insurance. And today we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Mina with uh, Doctors for America, is going to tell us uh, the latest about what's going on with COVID and help answer your questions. So make sure that you uh, text in, call in your questions for today or for future shows, and we will get the experts uh, to help answer them. Thank you so much. And I actually want to say probably the most important thing is to get good health insurance. There is... As a doctor, there is nothing more important if this pandemic has taught us anything. It is that access to good health insurance is so important. So please get enrolled if you haven't been enrolled. It's vitally important. Um, so let's start by talking about Omicron, which it feels like just yesterday everyone was struggling with how to pronounce Omicron. And now we feel like we're in the middle of it and it's always been here and it's never going to end. In some areas, it does appear like it's peaked and is actually going down. In my area, we're sort of seeing that. In other areas, they're still in the thick of it a little bit. 
But what is the, and, and you know, a lot of good news has come from Omicron. It's not all bad news. Um, it is decreasing a little bit in certain areas. There's evidence that it's probably less severe than Delta was. But what is the real problem? The problem is those who are not adequately vaccinated. And by adequately vaccinated, I mean, you've completed your series and you've obtained either a booster five months after the mRNA series, that's the Moderna or the Pfizer, or two months after the J&J. And what is the problem with those folks who are not adequately vaccinated? Well, it's two problems. First of all, they tend to get more sick. So they're more likely to end up in the hospital in the ICU. And that clogs up our hospital system. We were dealing with it here where we cut down on elective surgeries, which are not that elective for many people, um, make it harder for folks to get the treatment that they need um, for other non-COVID related illnesses. And these folks also tend to get sick for longer, meaning they transmit more virus. And all of this transmission increases the chances that people get hurt, right? People who, other people who are unvaccinated, people who are inadequately or um, vaccinated, but also vulnerable folks. So folks who have done all the right things, but because of their age, they're too old or they're very young or their underlying medical conditions or the medications they're on, they just don't get that same protection from the vaccine that everyone else does. And I think that folks worry then, okay, I've done all the right things, but I keep hearing about these breakthrough infections. Do these vaccines really work? A breakthrough infection does not mean a vaccine is failing. And I think the data, if you go to the CDC website and you look to see, you can actually see that if you are vaccinated, and this doesn't even include boosters, just vaccinated, you are 16 times less likely to end up hospitalized if you get COVID than someone who's not vaccinated. That's the vaccine working right there. Um, and so vaccines are preventing that severe illness death that we um, are seeing in the unvaccinated populations. But breakthrough infections are not fun, and they're going to continue as long as we allow this uh, virus to continue to circulate. So, and, and you know, even if Omicron goes down, this doesn't mean it's the end of COVID. Let's face it, I think many, many people are now talking about this being endemic. And so what does endemic mean? It means, yeah, it's around, but it's at a low level. It's at a manageable level. Um, we got lucky with Omicron being more mild than everything else, but it's still around at a very high level right now. We haven't gotten it to endemic. So to avoid worsening the, of this pandemic, to avoid the increasing length of the time that we're dealing with it, we really have to do two things. We have to get vaccinated and boosted on schedule. And we have to wear a mask when transmission levels are high in your community. And a lot of people say, well, I'm vaccinated. Why do I have to wear a mask? And I love the umbrella and raincoat analogy. Um, your umbrella is your vaccine and your booster. And if it's just a light rain outside, you go out, that works. That's going to keep you dry and it's going to protect you. When it is a full on storm, that is not going to work. That's when you have to put on your raincoat. And that's the man. And we do this for so many other things in life. Um, and we do this when there's high smoke levels. I, I know folks from forest fires and everything in California. I see folks who, you know, may live there are very familiar with this. I grew up in tornado country um, area and you have tornado siren and you modulate your behavior for that. Um, we do it when there's a, we just had a blizzard and we do this when there's a blizzard that's coming on. We get a warning and we say, okay, I'm going to change my behavior a little bit because of that. And I think that we may be doing that in the future on and off as we get various waves of, of whatever it is that comes on. And I don't think that's a difficult thing for folks or hopefully we can adapt for that. Um, so 
before I move on to, okay, I got a breakthrough infection, what do I do? I just want to pause for a minute about any questions that folks may have just about that whole idea. Uh, I just read that there is a newer variant of Omicron. Have you heard that's more transmissible, but it's it's at the same level of uh, how serious an illness it is? Well, that would not surprise me at all, unfortunately. Um, I will say, you know, even before Omicron, there were... Mm. I want to say at least five variants of interest, but they were not, they didn't become variants of concern, you know, so these variants, the variants, um, they're just little new mutations. They're going to crop up. And the question is, do they reach the levels where we have to worry about it? And that's something where epidemiologically we sort of follow this. So not something I, and folks get a little scared when they hear a new, a new variant. Um, And we've got a lot of PTSD from (laughs) this pandemic. But um, hopefully, uh, hopefully that doesn't become such a big issue that we would have to change anything. And the good news is the vaccines work against this, right? Right now, we have been so lucky in this pandemic that we have great vaccines that work. But so what happens if you do get a breakthrough infection, you test positive or somebody you, you're exposed to somebody. And there's a difference between testing positive and coming in contact with someone who's positive. That's the difference between whether you isolate or you have to quarantine. So isolation is you are sick and you've tested positive. Quarantine is you are exposed. And exposure is I've had 15 minutes within six feet of somebody who is COVID positive within a 24 hour period. And the, what you have to do, I think, has gotten muddled. There are lots of memes and there are lots of Twitter rants about this and, and TikTok videos, but it's actually a lot simpler. So let's start if you test positive. You are now in isolation, and that is day zero, the first day you had symptoms or you tested positive. Day one is going to be the first full day after that time. Everyone, regardless of your vaccination status, needs to stay home for five days and isolate from others. Um, if you need to be around everybody, anyone else, even in your house, wear a well-fitted mask. And you can end isolation after five days if your symptoms are getting better and you haven't had a fever for 24 hours. Um, but if you are severely ill or immunocompromised, you should isolate for a full time. And then everyone needs to just wear that well-fitting mask for at least 10 days after that positive test or full day. Um, So quarantine is when you've been in close contact with someone who's had COVID. Now, this does vary by whether you're fully vaccinated or not. You've got your vaccine, you've got your booster. If you are fully vaccinated, you do not need to quarantine. If you've had confirmed COVID within 90 days, you do not need. You should still test at day five, watch for symptoms until day 10, wear a mask. If you are not up to date on your vaccine, you need to quarantine for five days, watch for symptoms until day 10, and wear a mask around it. So I'll stop there because hopefully it simplifies this down a little bit by what do I have to do, whether I'm positive or I've been in contact. And then if you've just been in contact, it varies by whether you're vaccinated, you're vaccinated. What happens if you have had COVID recently Mm -hmm. uh, and then you get exposed again? Can you, I mean, if if you had COVID, if you had Omicron or you think you did a couple weeks ago and then you get exposed again, uh, I assume that you should test if you have a test, but how I likely is it that you get it again? I, you know, so you're going to sort of fall into this, I, this, this, I don't need to quarantine because I've been, um, well, you should, if you've confirmed, you, you've had a confirmed positive COVID, it's within 90 days. I don't need to quarantine. You should still test on day five though, um, and watch for symptoms and wear a mask around people. 
what is the likelihood that you're going to get COVID again? It's it's, that's a tough thing because it really varies from person to person. We know natural immunity does not last for a very, very long time. Um, that 90 days is the longest that natural immunity really does last in folks, um, but it can vary within that time frame. And so then, you know, another question that we often get is, okay, how do I know if I've got COVID? Or how do I know if I don't have COVID? Um, and so there are really three types of tests. And here's a big plug again, if you haven't gone to covidtest.gov, go sign up and get your two free tests. I haven't gotten mine in the mail yet, but, you know, go sign up. There are really three types of tests. There are PCR tests, there's, there's something called a rapid PCR, and there's an antigen test. What you're going to get from the COVID test.gov is going to be an antigen. So a PCR is the most sensitive. It's looking for any virus genetic code. Um, and this is sort of like finding, you know, like a hair at a crime scene or something like that. Um, but it's done in a lab or at a hospital, so it can take a couple of days to come back. So it is the most sensitive, but it takes a while. It will pick up if you have COVID within two to three days after your exposure, even if you're, but it's not good for folks who want an immediate answer. Um, if you're, do I have an infection? Because you're going to have to wait a day or two. A rapid or an at-home PCR, that's sort of a middle sensitivity. It, it will pick it up three to four days after you have been exposed if you're positive. And then that rapid antigen takes three and a half to four and a half days. But you're, if you are exposed, it'll turn positive within minutes. All right. So for most people, the rapid antigen is a good test. People get worried, is there a better rapid antigen test than another? No, they're, they're pretty comparable across the board. Now, if you want to check if you no longer have infections, well, so have I cleared my infection? Am I no longer infectious? PCR, not so good for this. This will stay positive for weeks. Remember, it's picking up any of that genetic material. So it's really not great here. A rapid PCR can remain positive four to 10 days after you're no longer infectious but the rapid antigen, it turns negative the minute you're not. So that's a great test to sort of check and see if you're trying to visit. Um, and, and then some people have asked about, you know, uh, these, do I have to get the nose swab versus the throat swab? And there's these newer tests. Let me tell you, I, I appreciate, I don't think there's a huge difference. There is a, a difference in how you apply the test, read the directions for these rapid antigen tests properly. Don't stick something that goes in your throat, your nose or vice versa. It won't pick up the same thing. But we are moving, hopefully, where we don't have to stick things in your nose. Um, for kids, that's especially helpful, I have to say. My six-year-old did not enjoy that experience one bit. <laughs> and, uh, before we talk about masks for a second um, and how, you know, because I, I think this is really important. Any other questions about testing or tests? Uh, I think that you answered uh, our questions. I was uh, really wondering, you know, if you come down with symptoms, uh, should you test before you go back into the world? And it sounds like yes, if you have a test. Yeah, I, I think yes, if you have a test, they are still, I mean, they're getting better at getting them. I think I ordered some from Amazon months ago, and they finally came in yesterday. I was very excited about that. Um, they're still not inexpensive, unfortunately. Um, and so hopefully that will change though. Many of them are covered by health insurance. If you, if you have now, the other thing that people want to know about is masks and, and what is the best mask that I need to get? And I need an N95 and everyone wants an N95. And I think people forget that it's not just functionality of the mask, but it's also fit. So functionality is how well does this prevent virus from passing through my mask? And obviously we know N95s and their relatives and surgical masks are going to be in that order, sort of the most effective. But I can't begin to tell you how many times I've seen someone wearing a K95 
below their nose or the surgical mask with the gaping holes right here, you know, by the ears. And that is not going to work as well as you would like it to do. And this is really important for kids as well. Like if you're trying to get a K95 onto your kid and it just isn't staying on, it's not working. It's not protecting them. So fit, you want something that covers your nose, your mouth, the nose, you want the, that metal fit so you can get it on your nose and keep it on your nose. Um, you don't want it to gape. You don't want it to slip fits well against your face and is comfortable. So you're not fidgeting with it because every time you fidget with it, you're going to sort of break that layer of protection. So while there's a lot of debate about this and there are people who are like K95s only, 95s only, I, I do like the analysis. And, and that is true. A well-fitting K95 or 95 is going to be your best protection, but that doesn't work for a lot of people or can't work for a lot of people. There was a great... Um, analysis that was done at Johns Hopkins, where if you have a good three-layer cloth mask with those paper filters, that's probably pretty equivalent to a surgical mask, it, it, especially if that, you know, mask can fit. It does that metal bridge. It doesn't have the gaping holes on the sides here. That's going to be an acceptable alternative in many situations. Now, obviously, if you're traveling, you're going to want to try and keep that K95 on or that 95 on and have a good fit there. But for most folks, um, you know, you know, you can probably go in and out of places with that. And as long as it's fitting properly, you're going to be OK. Um, I'll, any questions about that? I hope that makes sense. I actually, you know, use that when I'm in my office a lot. And um, when I'm in the hospital, sure, I'm using something a little bit more. Um, do you know uh, uh, when the uh, high quality uh, masks will be available through the Biden administration national program? I do not. I know that they've had, they, they promised those. I know that they promised one um, to, to every folk that reaches out, but I have not heard a date. I'll be honest. I really haven't. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, people are like, am I going to have to wear a mask forever? No, I think that we will get to a spot where maybe we don't have to wear, but we're going to have to watch for an alert in your community, in your state. What are the levels of this? What is your public health department telling you you need to do? And do that um, because this is how we help prevent things from lasting this long or continuing this badly. Um, and let me tell you, in hospital, we appreciate your help with public health. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, you know, I think a lot of people are like, I'm so done with this pandemic. It's lasted forever. It's never going to end. And I, I also want to say we are learning a lot and there are a lot of new medications that have come out. So I anticipate there will be a booster, um, whether it's Omicron specific booster or just a specific booster that we have to get around the flu shot or maybe bundled with our flu shot. Yay. I have no problem with that. But there are also medications that are coming out. There are a lot of things that are available. There are a lot of things that are coming through the pipeline. And this is great news. So this offers hope that we can take care of folks if they get COVID, if they're, especially if they're very sick. I think there's an important caveat with all of these. First of all, all of those are still under EUA or emergency use authorization. We're still learning about these. Some of them will have drug-drug interactions. Some of them will have side effects. Some may not just be appropriate for certain groups of people. And they're in shorter supply. They're not as widely available as the vaccines. And so whereas maybe something would be appropriate, you may not have access to it right now because we just don't have it. But in terms of medications, you know, there is the Paxlovid, which is the pill. Um, this is a protease inhibitor. It's for 12 and older who are at high risk of progressing for their COVID within five days of their symptoms. It does have some side effects, but it is there. 
Um, then there's um, the molnupravir, which is kind of like an anti-metabolite. It converts and in, incorporates itself in the virus's genome and prevents it from replicating. This is similar indications, high risk for progressing in COVID, but for 18 and older, and it cannot be used in pregnancy. Um, but within five days of your, I think we're familiar with remdesivir. Um, this has usually been on the inpatient side, but in certain settings now, it's been approved for out. Then we also have the so. So tropamib, which is a monoclonal antibody that it's also available. And this works for Omicron. It's approved for 12 and a lot of our monoclonal antibodies were not working against Omicron and it was a bit of a problem. This does work. It's approved for 12 and older. We're at high risk for progressing within 10 days of their symptoms. It is a very limited supply right now. Our, even our hospital, there's a selection that evaluates patients and like kind of ranks them because we have a limited. And then there's actually a prophylaxis. And this I think is really good news for folks who have severely compromised, all right? So this is Evusheld. This is a monoclonal antibody cocktail. It can protect you from getting COVID. It's given every six months to people who are unlikely to respond to the vaccine or who couldn't get the vaccine for whatever reason. So really we're talking about bone marrow transplant patients, high-risk cancers, organ transplant recipients, people who have immunodeficiency states, whether it's genetic or acquired. And, and those sort of high-risk folks, I have a, a colleague of mine who is actually on a medication for multiple sclerosis, who just has consistently never had a response to the vaccine. And this is something that's really, I think, um, revolutionary and gives hope to these folks that they can be protected against getting COVID as well. So we're moving into this direction. And that I think is the, the silver lining around this. Now, certainly prevention is key all the time, but we have increasing number of treatment options. We can get this under control. I think people should have hope. I really do. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we can learn some great lessons from this as well <laughs> about the importance of public health and the importance of insurance and the importance of getting ahead of things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but any questions about that? And please don't make these names. <laughs> <laughs> so say that you test positive today. Yes. Should you then be contacting your doctor so that you could try to get any of these medications within the I, five day or the 10 day time? Yeah, frame? I mean, I think that, I think that you should let your doctor know that you have COVID. Um, I think that, people need to also understand that they may be high risk patients, but they may not be high enough risk to get some of these medications, especially now. And, and don't be upset about that because again, this is such limited supply that they're just, there may be other folks who just need this more right now. And that can be really scary to someone who I, I take care of patients who are on immunosuppressants and, and it's really hard to, they, they're really nervous. They're really scared. And I have to explain to them, look, we have good studies that show that these immunosuppressants don't really blunt your response to the vaccine. You're fully vaccinated. Yes, you got COVID, but the data shows those vaccines are going to be, that's, that's treatment right there. That's prevention right there. And you don't need to take, uh, necessarily uh, the monoclonal antibody therapy that we have in short supply. And there are all of these other folks who are more severely immunosuppressed who need that. So, but you should contact your doctor and have that conversation with them um, because you do have five days. So let's see where you are on day two. Where are you on day three? Um, if you're sick enough that you need to come into the um, hospital, then 
maybe you're one of those people who just didn't respond to the vaccine as well as we had thought and and we you you would qualify that. but they're limited so patience from people right now and i think picky, piggybacking off of laura's question you know i've heard um maybe it was in new york um where you know we have programs now that are going to you know, if someone did test positive and is in that category, might even just bring those that medication to them. Um, yeah. um, do you see that sort of becoming something that happens around the country? Or I, is, I think, yeah, no, I think that that I, it might even be something you could get in certain cases, depending on the medication, get from your drugstore. So, you know, we ha- we do that with the flu sometimes as well. Your doctor may say, yes, you tested positive for flu. You're within this time frame. Go to I'm going to prescribe X, Y, Z. Go to the drugstore and go ahead and get that. Um, I think it's a great idea to be able to deliver to some people because some folks don't have transportation. Some folks aren't, aren't well enough. And we really don't want those people coming into the hospital unnecessarily either. So I think that's a great way to do this. But every area is going to be a little bit different here. And supply is going to be a little bit different. And and what is available is going to be a little bit different. So prevention is key. Remember, you have a lot of power and a lot of, of um, ownership here and, and uh, to make sure you're vaccinated, make sure you're boosted, and make sure you're wearing a mask um, around right now, even in our hospital and university system where it's vaccine mandated, we still have masking around everyone, um, whether you're vaccinated or not. And so, and I think that's reasonable because our levels, even though they're coming down, they're still high enough that this is an alert system. How do you know that you are sick enough that you should go to the hospital? So when I, when before vaccines, I was um, helping out a lot of people in a grassroots effort. And I kind of made myself available and said, if you get COVID, just shoot me a text message and I'm going to check in on you. We do these text message checks. And the single thing that helped the most was having a pulse oximeter. How was your, because especially young folks who are otherwise healthy, they may not feel as bad as they actually are. And I would say, check your pulse oximeter. If it's ever anything less than 94, 95, I want you to go to New York and get checked. You might feel like you're getting a little bit better, but I don't think you're getting a little bit better. Go in there. Obviously, if you're having um, any other symptoms, though, that are, are getting worse and you're not able to take care of yourself, you should really go to the ER as well. And it's always better to get checked than to assume that you've got this under. Um, so when in doubt, definitely just go in and, you know, contact your primary or go in um, and and be evaluated by somebody. Thanks. Uh, that was really helpful. Uh, and uh, thank you again for uh, sharing that with us. And uh, we look forward to having you at future Care Talks. I would be honored. I, I really would. This is fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, And everybody, we will be back next week at 430 Eastern to answer your healthcare and health insurance questions. This is Care Talk.